This program deals with themes of an adult nature and is intended for a mature audience. The very word secrecy is repugnant in a free and open society. And we are, as a people, inherently and historically opposed to secret societies, to secret oaths, and to secret proceedings. Our differences worldwide would vanish if we were facing an alien threat from outside of this world. We must guard against the military-industrial complex. Exopolitics, paranormal phenomena, and deep analysis of current world events. From somewhere in the desert, between Area 51 and Roswell, blasting across the planet, the Manticore Network proudly presents Fairy Tales. Because the truth will set you free. Headline edition, July 8, 1947. The Army Air Forces has announced that a flying disc has been found and is now in the possession of the Army. I'm as bad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore! The power they took from the people will return to the people. And so long as men die, liberty will never perish. Soldiers, don't fight for slavery, fight for liberty! The only thing we have to fear is fear itself! Sooner or later, though. You always have to wake up. Be skeptical, but don't close your mind. Greetings to everyone around the world, and a warm welcome to another edition of Veritas, alternative media for discerning minds. I'm your host, Mel Fabregas, and I sincerely thank you for joining me once again. And if this is your first time, make yourself at home. I want to thank all our members for your loyalty and support. Tonight's special guest is Jay Whitener. We'll discuss his new DVD, Kubrick's Odyssey. Secrets hidden in the films of Stanley Kubrick. Find out if you really went to the moon and many other secrets. Jay Whitener will be with us shortly. And next week, he is back. That is, if the universe allows it, as he says, the return of Cliff High. If you thought times were interesting during Cliff's last appearance, I can't even imagine what will be discussed. I don't have to tell you, it's going to be a show that you cannot miss. To listen to tonight's full show, become a member. Just go to our website, veritasshow.com, click on the subscribe button, and instantly enjoy all of our material, all of it, audio and video. By the way, did you know that we discuss every show 
at our forum every week. That's another amenity you receive. All of this for only $7.95 per month. You can stream or download on demand in CD audio quality and take Veritas with you wherever you go. Subscribe today and visit the Veritas store where you can get our 8GB USB drive with Seasons 1 or 2 with bonus material or even MMS. What is MMS? Go to the past shows and listen to Jim Humble's interview entitled Jim Humble versus the FDA. And those of you who are going to the ESETI Ranch in late June are asking me, how do you identify yourselves? Well, some people are buying stickers or hats or t-shirts. Go to the very test store and click on it and you'll be able to see anything that may identify you. And if you need to get in touch with me, click on the contact button of our website and also join me on Facebook. And now, get ready to be broken out of the matrix and reach a new level of understanding of Stanley Kubrick's work, the moon landing, mind control, the occult, and the possibility that so much of what we are told by the mainstream media has a very specific agenda behind it. Decide for yourself if a mystery has been solved. Jay Whitener is coming up next. This is Mel Fabregas, and you're listening to Veritas. Don't go anywhere. Jay Whitener is an author, filmmaker, co-author of numerous works, and has produced and directed documentary films, 2012 The Odyssey, Secrets of Alchemy, Earth Under Fire, and many others. Since 2000, Jay Whitener has been the president of Sacred Mysteries Productions, a company dedicated to producing high-quality films that challenge perceptions and help understand the nature of reality. His most recent work, a documentary film entitled Kubrick's Odyssey, Secrets Hidden in the Films of Stanley Kubrick, which will be the focus of tonight's show. You can learn more about Jay Whitener and his work by visiting his website, sacredmysteries.com. And directly from Oregon, I would like to welcome Jay Whitener back to Veritas. Hello, Jay. Welcome back. How are you? Hey, Mel. It's great to be back. I'm great. It's my pleasure. Jay, I always suspected that Stanley Kubrick was trying to tell us something with his movies, but I really had no idea to what extent until I watched part one of your trilogy, Kubrick's Odyssey, Secrets Hidden in the Films of Stanley Kubrick. What is it that motivated you? What was that aha moment when you said, there's something going on here, and I'm going to go through this with a fine-tooth comb? 
Um, actually, uh, it occurred uh, probably less than a month after Stanley died uh, in 1999. I was in France when he died, and uh, I was a huge fan and was really disappointed that he died because, you know, I wanted more films from him. And right. uh, I went back to my home, and I was living in the mountains at the time, in a small house overlooking the Continental Divide. And, uh, and it was a Saturday morning, and uh, my wife and I were just sitting having our morning coffee, and all of a sudden I started talking to her about 2001 A Space Odyssey, and in a moment of revelatory flash, it, it, but taking about two hours to explain it to her, I explained the entire film, and uh, when I got done, uh, I, the real meaning of the film, and when I got done, she said, that's the most amazing thing I've ever heard, you got to write that down before you forget it, and I said, okay, and... Uh, I said, but first I want to watch the film. This is back in the days of VHS. And right. uh, so I ran down to our little tiny VHS rental store in our little town and uh, walked into the uh, uh, the shop to get the tape to rent it to watch it. And it was on the screen in the store. And there was like a 16-year-old kid who worked there, and he was watching it. And so I walked up to him and I said, um, you're watching 2001 Space Odyssey? And he looked at me and he said, yeah, I've, I've watched this thing about 10 times. I still can't figure it out. <laughs> and then I, uh, I rented it and took it home, watched it, and I wrote the article, um, Alchemical Kubrick, a couple days later. And this was before the release of Eyes Wide Shut. There was about, he died on March 11th, I think, or March 9th. And, um, and uh, Eyes Wide Shut was released on July 20th, so there's you know a four or five month little span there of time, and the article came out. It got put up on the web, got like a million hits, and uh, but all my friends uh, criticized it. A lot of them because they said, well, there's no there's no indication in Kubrick's work of any interest in, in the occult, Jay. Not really. Um, so I think, you know, I don't know how you're deriving an occult alchemical interpretation from him. It doesn't seem to make sense, and I had to agree that I didn't have a scant evidence to show at that time any of this. It was just a feeling that the symbology in 2001 was so alchemical, the black monolith being, you know, the uh, philosopher's stone, the transmutation of Bowman, the astronaut into the star child exactly emulates the transmutation that comes in alchemy. And, uh, and you know, I thought I had that pretty well pegged, and then Eyes Wide Shut came out, and then all the criticism disappeared. Uh, no one told me that I was wrong about Stanley not being interested in the occult. And, uh, and then that got me going into watching everything that he had. And then when Blu-ray came out, I... Well, it was before Blu-ray. When DVDs came out, it was about 2001 or 2002, I was watching 2001, the film. And, uh, and I had been working with Richard Hoagland since the early 90s on the lunar research. And I have a, a huge uh, part of my life, which is spent, for some reason, constantly examining and looking at the moon and reading everything about it. I'm completely obsessed by the moon. I'm probably what a lunatic really means. <laughs> and uh, so, uh, 
so I was watching 2001 and the ape scenes, and I'd known that they were shot with front projection because I, I, I just know a lot about movie making. And I was watching and actually starting to marvel at his incredible use of the front screen projection uh, screen that's used in the ape scenes in 2001. And then suddenly, uh, you know, years of looking at NASA photographs and film, and then watching this film, suddenly. I realized exactly how the the lunar things were done and why they had so many strange anomalies in the lunar image uh, library. And what I'm talking about is not the shots taken from above the moon or by lunar orbiter or a pioneer, but I'm talking about the shots taken by the astronauts during the Apollo missions. And then... I kept quiet about that, although I did run it by Richard Hoagland and got a very surprising reply from him uh, about that. And, um, and I kept quiet and I kept quiet. But then when Dark Mission came out, and I love Dark Mission, and I love Richard and, and Mike Bear, the great people, but I felt that the record had to be set straight. And so I uh, came out with the with the film because I wanted to set the record straight and make sure that people realize that what you're seeing on the, on the photographs that are taken by the astronauts on the surface of the moon are complete and total fraud and a complete fake. So, so that the the audience understands the 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 discrepancy or the difference between what Richard C. Hoagland and you have to say. Richard, I believe, said that what we saw in the background was a crystal structure, and what you're saying is it's a front screen projection, basically. It's the screen. screen. It's called a Scotchlight screen. It was made by right. 3M, and it's it's hundreds of thousands of little tiny glass beads that are very successful in reflecting light backwards. And uh, at 90 degrees, I mean. And uh, so, so everything that he finds uh, when he runs it through a spectrograph or does gamma readings on it and everything, it comes out saying, whatever this is, it's glass. Okay? And that's how, he, that's how he reaches these conclusions. There's a spectral analysis will tell you that it's glass. This is glass, so these must be glass towers. So therefore, that's why we can't see them, because they're glass. Of course, I don't know why the moon dust hasn't settled on the glass towers. But um, right. so, uh, the, uh, so that, you know, it became a working paradigm for him, um, and it wasn't one that I shared, but I still was very interested in the anomalies that he was finding, because they were definitely there, and I was really interested in how NASA never responds to anything that he says in any kind of meaningful fashion. And um, so that told me that, that, you know, they could either refute him and uh, slam, you know, do a body slam on him and he'll never come up again for error, um, but they don't. And uh, the reason they don't is because they would probably prefer that people think they're alien cities. <laughs> right, as opposed to being filmed in a studio somewhere. Yeah, it's a better explanation for them because it's so way out that no one's going to believe it. Anybody with a sane mind isn't going to just dismiss it, right, from the beginning. Uh, so, okay, he found this stuff, and then he says it's glass cities that are 20 miles high that you can't see with your naked eye. Okay, okay, I can accept that, maybe. Or is it artifacts from a cinema process called front screen projection in which light 
the background scenes are reflected off the, the um, background screen, uh, giving the effect that there's mountains and and everything out beyond the place where the astronauts are standing. And that was a thing that Kubrick was trying to achieve in the eight-man scenes in 2001. He didn't want to fly to Spain or someplace where, you know, do, he didn't want to do location work. He liked to go to bed in his own bed every night. And uh, so he decided to do it, you know, with front screen projection. So then the question became, okay, yeah, we've done, you know, little small scenes before using front screen projection, but nobody's done vast huge scenes with it and um that became the uh that became you know his goal was how to make it look vast and that's exactly what is being used on the lunar sets also so then i began examining the history of him shooting the front screen projection uh, ape scenes uh and we find that he was shooting those scenes first and also the front screen projection scenes that were done on the moon, on the lunar surface, in 2001. So he spent from 1964 to 1966 shooting all the front screen projection stuff, which adds up to about uh, 20 minutes total of the two-hour and 40-minute film. Uh, uh, so he spends two, um, half, the, half of the four years that he's making 2001 He's spending the first half just doing front projection. And what he's doing, of course, is he's trying everything he can to get it to work in the vastness that he needed for the movie. And also, the studio that he was doing the work at, which is Borham Wood in London, was not the studio that he shot the rest of the film in. In other words, he had two studios going at once. He had one studio that was doing all the stuff for everything that wasn't front screen projection. And then he had another studio where hardly anybody ever went, which is the front screen projection studio. Could uh, that be the same studio used for the moon yeah, landing? That's exactly what it was going on. He was <sighs> he had separated it so that there would not be anyone seeing actually what was going on. He, t he only had a couple technicians that he trusted. And uh, those technicians may not have even ever known what they were even doing. And maybe after they finally saw the Apollo footage, they may have said, wait a minute. Or they may not have even lived beyond that. I don't know. But that's where he shot it, and that's where he put it together. And um, and, that, and the rest is history, you know. And, I, and, and you know, it, I, I think I have it dead to rights. Like, people can argue with me about whether Stanley Kubrick did it. That's true. They can argue, and, and I cannot actually give you a smoking gun outside of The Shining, that uh, that proves that he did it, but there, the coincidences begin mounting up, and the coincidences are that he was shooting 2001 Space Odyssey from 1964 to 1968. Um, the Apollo program began in 1964. It ended. It, it, it culminated uh, one in, in 1969, one year after Kubrick released 2001, and. Um, and, of course, they just did uh, six flights, and then the whole thing got put away, and they never went back. And, uh, and, and, and then, you know, Kubrick has Fred Ordway, who's the t one of the top NASA scientists, um, shuttling back and forth 
from Houston to London uh, uh, to work on 2001. And, and you got to wonder, is NASA paying this guy this big salary so he can... Thank you for listening. To unlock the full two-hour interview, including video formats, downloads, transcripts, exclusive articles, and more, subscribe to Veritas Plus now. Gain access to our entire archive dating back to 2008. Just click subscribe at veritasradio.com. Because you don't want to believe, you want to know. Subscribe now. To listen to the rest and all of our exclusive material, proceed to the Veritas Plus member section or join the Veritas Plus family by subscribing. Click on the subscribe button at veritasradio.com. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store for focused life force energy. Get a 15-day free trial today with no credit card required. And if you want to get in touch with Mel, want to be a guest on this radio program, have a guest suggestion, or have feedback, just click on the contact button on our website at veritasradio.com. Now, proceed to the Veritas Plus member section or subscribe to listen to the rest of the interview. You don't want to miss it. Because you don't want to believe, you want to know. What are you waiting for? Subscribe now at veritasradio.com.